UFC 182, uh, Bad Blood, is officially in... I can't even say it with a straight face. <laughs> Don't I, can't, I keep trying to say it with a straight face, and it never goes off. It's an episode of True Blood uh, subtitle, everybody. But it's over, which means it's time for Verbal Tap, the show that proves fighting is way easier from outside the cage. I am your host, Kevin. With me, Rafa Sparza. Rafa, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great. Um, you know what I appreciate about this podcast, Kevin? What? Is that no matter how petty or bickering you and I get with one another, mm-hmm. uh, it's never to the extent of John Jones and Daniel Cormier. No. <laughs> no. Uh, even in – and I we're going to get to that. We're going to jump straight into 182. That's one of the things I guess I like about the podcast too, uh, that you don't have like a John Jones type douchebag side, which is very mm-hmm. nice. Uh, let's bring it. Jim Lawson is here. I presume to find out he lost in stunning fashion to me at over under Kevin from the Warriors club. Jim Lawson, Jim, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks guys. Uh, big night of fights. Let's start off at the top. Mostly in Raph. I'll actually give you some credit. I had been like, what a great card. And you were like, eh, there are some good fights. Not overall a great card. <laughs> we got about, I'd say, halfway through uh, Horiguchi. Got it out where I was like, eh, I guess he's kind of right. Because <laughs> then Tavares Arco, I was like, yeah, all right. Not bad fights, but not quite the card I had been touting. I felt always. really bad having to, to let you down when you were really excited about it. But when you were asking my own personal professional opinion, I go, you know, I'm not, you know, Kev, maybe you should be excited. You yeah. should stay excited. And I sure I, was. Uh, um, Jim, were we off? Did you see something super spectacular about yesterday's card that Kevin and I didn't? No, no. no. I, I think I feel the exact same way. I, I would say the prelims were off the chain, though. Prelims were pretty exciting. Um, but for some reason, it seemed like the main card just really didn't deliver. It was a whole lot of action, but nothing really getting done. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. A lot of action, not much got done. Uh, a lot of guys sizing each other up. Like it seemed like some really tactical battles, just nothing that led to any real <clears throat> violence. Let's start up at the top: Jones versus Cormier. Um, <laughs> the fight we wanted to see. Raph, I'm gonna start with you. I, I okay. I think we made it very clear we wanted to see DC win, despite every form of reality coming in. And knowing that John Jones is super creative and he really is one of the pound-for-pound best in the world, if not the, and he proved it yesterday, does that make him a good human being? (laughs) This is the question I pose to the both of you. I guess my answer would be he doesn't have to be. What do you think? Absolutely. He doesn't have to be. No. No, he doesn't have to be, and uh, he doesn't seem to be. But, I mean, I'm, I'm not drinking buddies with the guy. I don't know the guy personally, but he seems like a real dick. <laughs> well, the, you went stronger than either of us did on this one, Jim, so I'm intrigued to hear more of why you think he's a dick. No, I'm just, I'm just wrapped up in the moment. Come on, man. Let's face right, it. Right. John, John Jones was the beneficiary of a gift decision. I had DC win four rounds to one. 
Really? No, That's not okay. at all. I'm so waiting for the great butumps uh, to happen. Right <laughs> it's like, God damn! You really saw that fourth. But round, you know what, Jim? It? If you had make it in. It made an impassioned speech on the podcast of the two of us. We would have entertained it just for shits and giggles. 50 bucks saying you might have had me on your side. I had just gotten done with a 17-hour drive from Kansas over two days, so I was a little dreary. It was 50 minutes. Oh, wow. like, yeah. Uh, okay, let me ask you two this, because this is the one thing that struck me. Daniel Cormier was looked like a normal human being when he was fighting heavy. He seemed like a bigger human being when he was fighting at light heavy 205. How fucking big is John Jones? Uh, well, apparently he's, he's not as big as the heavyweight division um, mm-hmm. um, seems, to, seems to put on display. If you listen to him, uh, last night in the press conference, he, he made, he's pretty animate about 205. He's 205. Um, and he has the chicken legs, you know, so to speak. Yeah. But, there's a big, I mean, amongst the light heavies, he's he's a pretty big guy, but I wouldn't say he's abnormally big. I mean, like Rampage, he's a pretty big light heavy as well, you know? John's but, but, uh, huge. Jim, night. can we talk about this, though, real quick? You're, you're jumping to the post-presser, and since you brought it up, I, I really want to bring this up. A, uh, because I don't think any other guest that we've had on for Over Under Kevin has actually watched the post-press conference. So kudos to you for doing your homework. Uh, but B, did you notice the inconsistency in the answers for John Jones? Because he's like, oh, fight uh, Cain Velasquez? Most definitely. Uh, go up a weight class? Ooh, hey, let's not go there. Yeah, I think he's still in the, I think he's still in the verbal war with that, the AKA camp now at this point. Yeah. He just wants to scorch earth anything close to um, Cromier. It's so like it's so entertaining, uh, Kevin. Did you happen to see? Uh, okay, well, let's talk about the fight. We'll come back to the post presser after. Uh, Kevin, what were your takeaways from the fight? I thought the fight was just one of those like, it genuinely in the first three rounds, I felt like it was anyone's game. I thought John Jones was winning the fight. I did not feel like Daniel Cormier was out of it. He seemed to be landing a few punches that genuinely stunned him. Uh, but the fourth round, it was done. John Jones came out, and he p- seemed to put it into a fifth and then sixth gear. And it seemed like Daniel Cormier did not have that gear at all. Uh, Jim, what do you think that Cormier wasn't doing? What uh, didn't go right for him, if you would say? Oh, uh, wow. It's just, uh, I mean, a tough struggle. I guess he allowed, I mean, it was it was definitely the range and the distance that would you would think would benefit uh, Cormier, but um, or Cormier, but um, I think he he let him he fought off the he chose to fought off the cage too much. I mean, whether it's really his choice or not, but yeah. his back to the cage just not a good thing. And you know, the first two rounds, it seemed like uh, DC was <clears throat> was able to at least kind of you know keep that pressure on and, and really back Jones up, but. Like towards the end of the third round, fourth round, back to the cage, no bueno. <laughs> For all of you uh, Spanish-speaking telenovela uh, Univision listeners, uh, no bueno indeed. I-, I was surprised by this. Did everybody just look at each other at your viewing parties and say, so DC just decided to take the fourth round off, right? Yeah, didn't seem to be wanting to fight at all. 
which is a strange strategy when you're arguably <laughs> losing. I agree. I thought okay. that was a bold choice. It was definitely – and the weird part is people were like, is he getting outmatched? I'm like, no, I think he's he's just kind of – like, granted, John Jones is pushing him up against the cage, but he doesn't look to be fighting too much back. He looked like he was reserving his energy uh, and trying to come back for a very, very big fifth round, which never happened. And even he admitted in the post-presser that they just kind of hugged it out for that fifth round. This is the one thing that people contend, I think, for DC, and they were asking – why wasn't he doing more in that fifth round? Why was he going for a takedown? Jim, is there something about when you get that tired in a fight that you go to your instincts? And I think his instinct was to try and get a takedown, which is kind of null and void. Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, <clears throat> I think you got to if, if you're going to have any kind of hope to win. I, I thought it was a very, very smart strategy, given giving the um you know, the, the scenario of what was going on. Um, you go back to what you're best at. He is, he is a better wrestler. I mean, he, he just is pure wrestling here. And he was able to get that, um, get that single and then dump him. He dumped him once, but I think the mentality is if he could just get him to the ground mm-hmm. and get on top of him, then maybe he can get a little ground and pound. It's, it's his equivalent to, Kind of setting it up with your best weapon, which, you know, Muhammad Ali, he worked everything off the jab, worked everything off the jab. Well, in MMA, that, you know, having that shot and grabbing that leg for DC, that's his jab, so yeah. to speak. So he got, he got the jab and he's setting it up from there. Okay, now I got the leg. Let's dump him because I'm good at dumping people. And if I can get top position, maybe something, let's see what I can create. Maybe ground and pound him out or set up a submission. I think at the end of the second, when he had him and he was coming over more to side, it was the most, I think, excited we all got because it was where we knew DC could be the most dangerous, and it happened to come right at the end of the round. Um, Kev, I did learn something if we were to ever fight. You know what that is? What's that? Uh, Just uppercut Kevin to get rid of the reach. Yeah. For eternity. Is that what you were thinking about? Yeah, that uppercut. Pretty brutal. That uppercut was the best thing DC did all night. Uh, and it was an intriguing concept because you have to be in. You like you have to invade John Jones's space and still respect the possibility of getting elbowed. Um, what did you think about that strategy, Kevin? I Were was you entertained? You just said something impressive that I think anyone that watched uh, Daniel Cormier's got a real chin on him. Mm-hmm. It seems like every other time Bones has thrown those elbows, people it looks like he's doing plastic surgery for them. Like he's normally changing up, giving a little facelift, do a brow tuck. Uh, <laughs> it was nice to see someone be able to withstand that. So I was also taking notes, by the way, and was thinking about using that elbow thing if when you and I, you know, find the eventually MMA fight, cage yeah. and settle in. <laughs> We're yes. like, yeah, it's time not only to fight, but to do it with the highest possible stakes of uh, little ounce gloves. And given our non-existent ability to strike, it exactly. would be the world's worst fight anybody's ever seen. Lots I think the, I think the weirdest part for me is. When you're watching that fight and you're really looking at it, DC had some great moments uh, where he had some great flurries. And I think if you're really, really looking at this fight objectively, 
you will notice, and this is a comment off of your, he's got a good chin. Do you think, though, that DC looked better than Gustafsson did? Because when you alluded to the fact that DC, I mean, for the most part, he was beat, but he didn't look too bad after that fight. No, I think that's just because Gustafsson's face looks like that normally. What do you mm. think, Jim? Is that just the way his face is shaped? or Is that just a Swedish face? Well, yeah, Swedish face. You know, the pale skin. You know, you see a, it's, a, it's a more blank palette of color. So any deviation from that, you're, you're going to see it. Well, we're at our fill of the 182 bad blood until I, Cormier comes back. You had well, a final. You have a final note. I do want to read you guys uh, the real quick thing that he did say. So post-press conference, if you guys are watching this at all, uh, I will say I gained a new level of respect for DC. Uh, He was using the best analysis I've ever seen him do, and it was him being very, very real and honest about his fight performance. But uh, this is what he said. Uh, and in the post presser, he said, it's very difficult. I worked so hard to try and become a champion at the highest levels for a really long time, and it hasn't worked out for me. This one's tough. I truly believed I could get the job done. I thought I could get it done. And when we were fighting, I still pre- pro- felt pretty good. Um, he then goes on to credit John Jones's, you know, integrity in his chin and how much resolve he has. And yet at the end of all of this, John Jones, when re- asked if he felt any different about uh, Daniel Cormier, Kev, you want to take a guess as to what he said? No. Uh, he just said, uh, this changes nothing. Uh, I still dislike him immensely. Yeah, he fought a good fight, but uh, this is a combat sport. I don't feel sorry for him. Okay. So my, my guess, my last comment to you, and I'll throw this out to Jim. Uh, would you say that maybe one person won the fight? and took home a belt, and one person acted like a champion? Oh, yeah. Fair enough. DC's the people's champion at the 205 division. <laughs> <laughs> they should Sweet. give that out, a people's champion award. Well, I we like can that. give that out. We have the ability to do that. Well done. Yeah. Hey, right. how how fun is Donald Cerrone to watch fight? Anybody? In the last 10 <laughs> seconds of a third round, amazingly fun uh, to watch. The Amaplata... To eventual side control sweep. Does anyone know what he did there? Can anyone, Jim? This is where we defer to your expertise of knowing what you're talking about. How does he amaplata well, that takedown? Yeah, he. Uh, well, I, I actually I missed to see how they even gotten that uh, that got in the omoplata position. Yeah. But uh, what I did what I did like is uh, while he was in there. Instead of just being so focused on that submission, mm-hmm. he just had to drop a couple left hands to his face. That was awesome. To, uh, that was that was <laughs> awesome. That was awesome. And then came up in side control. Yeah, that was cool. That was a pretty badass sweep on the way back. Yeah, big fan of the Donald Cerrone fight. Wrath, best submission attempt of the evening? Uh, yeah. Uh, but... I really want to go back to the kicks because in the post presser, Jim, did you hear what he referred to the kicks as? No, I missed it. Oh, this was great because, uh, you know, DC and John Jones took their time to get out to the post presser. So Donald Cerrone got basically all of the questions asked to him. 
And they're like, you know, uh, Cerrone, can you walk us through the last part of the fight? You looked a little perturbed when you were kicking. Was that frustration of the fight? And uh, were you? What was your mentality? He goes, oh, those were fuck you kicks. <laughs> <laughs> I just decided that uh, I'm. I went into tunnel vision and I was just trying to kick the guy. And I said, I'm either going to break my leg or I'm going to break his. Oh man, that was great. Fuck you, kicks. (laughs) And I will say, this is a true credit to Cerrone. Uh, He was asking Dana White to get him on a fight card in Colorado in a month's time. And Dana was just giggling the whole time, like a little schoolgirl, just at the thought. But Miles Jury, an interesting fight concept. Did he ever show up? Kevin, your thoughts? I thought he fought hard. He genuinely had the same look I thought Cormier had. Uh, no, I enjoyed watching Miles Yuri fight. I just don't think he thought he could win that fight. Donald Cerrone's on such a kick right now, and he walks in with such confidence. That's just kind of how it looked. He looked like he took the takedown, and after it turned into a near Alma Plata that turned into a lot of beating, he just never looked like he really had a strategy, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. I will say, uh, Donald Cerrone seemed really angry at him afterwards, and when asked <laughs> to specify why, uh, he said, you know, I didn't know it was the time for him to get his Nikes on and just start running away because, uh, yeah, that was messed up shit. I, wanted, I was there to fight. And I guess this <laughs> statement was problematic for two reasons. The first being Donald Cerrone was not happy with him for, I guess, not engaging enough. And I think the second problem is, has anybody told Donald Cerrone that they're owned by Reebok now and that they should probably ixnay on the IKAs? Yeah, I wonder if you'd get the same uh, kind of uh, verbal lashing from Dana as uh, Brock Lesnar did when uh, he <laughs> called out he's going to have a Coors Light or something. Oh, like don't an worry, asshole. Though. So the yeah. Zerones definitely had three Budweisers in front of him and was drinking very generously throughout the post presser. So kudos to him, a true spokesperson indeed. Um, <laughs> uh, I you mean, want me to flash fire through the rest of the fight? Yeah, I was about to say, is there anything else that we need to talk about other than Paul Felder's really sick knockout? No, I think no. the spinning backfist takes. Uh, pretty easily knockout of the night. Yeah, I, well, oh, you got a performance of the, of the night. Three? Well, of course it got performance of the night. Like it was, yeah. Uh, the other one is, uh, and I'm not even going to talk about Sean Jordan's KO. I'm just going to talk about Sean Jordan's ginormous <laughs> backflip. Yeah, that scared the hell out of me. Scared the hell out of everyone. Who's doing that? When I put a joke up on the Twitter, it was, you know, guys, you might not have seen it, but you definitely felt it. That was a shockwave <laughs> that proverbially went through the entire stadium right there. Um, it affected me on a meta level. I didn't know people that big could do that. And now that I know it's possible and it exists, I'm rethinking how I once thought about Bigfoot. There's a lot going on in my mind. Oh, okay. I'm just, I'm just sharing. I'm, I'm glad that's, uh, that's a thought process, Kevin. Thanks, man. Well, you two seem like you're on pins and needles to figure out who won between the two of you. Um, do you have any kind of inclinations on how you did? I'll start with you, Kevin. I feel like I won. Yeah. Any reason for that? A uh, little thing <laughs> called the top three. Uh, Tavares, Cerrone, and Jones. 
Legends. Also, I feel like I chose Horiguchi because I really wanted the name said. I can't remember for sure. And I'm yeah, still upset did. at Rodrigo Dam for disappointing me. Okay. Okay. Jim, how do you feel? Do you think that Kevin's really overlooking the preliminary card? Um, no, I, I'm not overlooking the, the prelim card. In fact, watching the prelim card, I saw I, I was doing really well. I was doing really well, except uh, I know I dropped that Josh Berkman pick. But, um, yeah. <laughs> well, Evan to Dunham. be fair, I'm not sure Josh Berkman uh, bet on himself once he saw what Hector Lombard looked like in the octagon. So <laughs> hey, Josh Berkman did well, man. He I did agree. Well. He had okay. a few moments in that fight where he genuinely looked like he was about to counter it. No. I, I'm going to stop the both of you <laughs> because oh. I think I think well is a relative term here. I think he was in the fight. Uh, I think if you are counting evasiveness as a strategy, then dude killed it yesterday. Uh, but he found a way to get out of any kind of troubled spots, found some great angles. But that was the most effective thing I think I saw him do the entire fight. Yeah, he, he played hurt really well, too. Yes. So he'd stay in the pocket and catch um, Hector coming in. That was, that was a fun fight. That was a fun weirdest, fight. It's, I guess it's so fucking strange. It'd be great if he was way more active with that, but he does that weird, like what you're talking about when he's playing hurt and he's like practically turning his back and then swiveling back with punches to try and, like, catch Lombard by surprise. It was just so weird. Yeah. Anyway, uh, gentlemen, I do have the results for you. Go for it. Kevin. Yes. How many do you think you got right out of, of 11 fights? Seven. You know that is not true. Seven. You think you got seven. Okay. Jim, how many do you think you got right? Eight. <laughs> I also would have accepted one more than Kevin, but eight's <laughs> very funny as well. Uh, I will tell you, one of you is right. Oh, shit. No way. Ladies and gentlemen. It's killing me. Winner of this week's Over Under Kevin is... I'm pointing to the sky. I'm pointing to the sky. Kevin Phillips with a two-bits... Oh, streak on recorded history in Kevin's life. Kev, talk to me real quick. How do you First feel all, that you did, and how did you do it? Owner of a proud new Warriors Club shirt, I'm grinning from ear to ear. Uh, much like most of the fighters, got to start by thanking God. I don't know why he just decided to join me and help me in these last few, uh, but screw it, you know? Just got to stick with it. And, you know, I'm going to take from the champ. This doesn't change my feelings about Jim Lawson. I still don't like him. Uh, Yeah, he fought a good fight, but I have zero respect. Still a terrible human being, right? I can't even get through it straight face. It's like, I'm going to (laughs) go. I'm going to yell at my girlfriend, go get me some Coors Light. Wait, what was Cerrone? Budweiser's. That's what I'm going to. I drink from the keg of victory. I think that's the most notable quote Kevin's had in a long time. Jim, uh, I'm here with the loser of over-under, Kevin. Uh, you know, walk us through your performance. Where did it all go wrong for you? The, yeah, you know, I, I think uh, the main card is where I started losing a little steam, been, been a little bit with my heart on that uh, DC fight. And um, time to go back to the drawing board. And I'll, I'll be back. I'll be okay. back. 
Okay. Very, very we'll good. stand across the radio from me one more time to make this happen. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I will say this. Uh, Jim, you were doing great in the prelims. Yes, it was when we got to the main card. Things started to get a little haywire. I think you took a bold stance with the pick for DC, and you guys were tied, I think, right up to there at some point. Uh, like, it was, it was, it was close. But uh, the DC one is, I, I think, what really did you in here. I will tell you guys this. Uh, there are no losers on Over Under Kevin except for uh, Kevin. So, Jim, what we're going to do is we are going to plug your site twice. Oh, so sweet. plug the Warriors Club twice, not five times because that's what a winner gets. Five times <laughs> is for closers. Two. Two is for people that just were really funny while picking fights. Absolutely. I mean, uh... Jim gave us at least three or four just genius sound bites. For sure. Very spirited match this round. Oh, man, guys. It was was fun. Can't wait to do it again. And uh, once again, if you ever find yourself in the area of 226 East Palm Avenue and beautiful downtown Burbank, uh, stop on by. Yeah. Learn to fight from the best. The winner of the best plug in oh, for sure. the business for definitely sure. also goes to Jim Lawson. Jim, we want to thank you for stopping by again. We hope you have a good rest of your day, my man. All right. Thanks, guys, and happy New Year's to you. See you guys soon. Story 30 here at Verbal Tap. Raph, are you okay with me making up a new segment title on the floor? Yeah, yeah, go for it. <laughs> 30 is like the unnecessary sequel to Zero Dark 30. It, okay. No, it's way not even. <laughs> Only if they got Sylvester Stallone to direct the sequel that doesn't exist. Let's, let's introduce our guest, who's a yes. good person and is going to take this podcast in a much cooler much cooler direction. Thank God. <laughs> um, we have from Level Ground MMA, Allie Fuller. Allie, how are you doing this evening? I'm I'm doing pretty good. How you doing? Doing great. Love the All title right. Level Ground MMA. Makes much more Thank sense you. than say like uneven ground MMA. <laughs> For those yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> classic name <laughs> jokes are my repertoire. Wow. Okay. <laughs> So, welcome to the show. Also, I'm going to insult your brand, but you're great. It was a compliment Thanks. to their titling mm-hmm. skills. Absolutely. Good job. Get to your question. I was going to ask, give us, uh, tell us, tell people what Level Ground MMA does. Uh, yeah, so our organization is just over a year and a half old. And what we do is we use the sports of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and MMA, um, particularly Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, um, to create awesome relationships with kids in disconnected areas in Boston. So um, by that, I mean um, kids that, you know, live in more underserved um, or inner city um, parts of um, the city of Boston. And we connect with them through the sport, and then we use that as a tool to link them with opportunities. Um, We get them paired with mentors, we help them get into college, and then we also hook them up with jobs. Um, Some of them we even um, employ ourselves. Um, But 
the sport has been super, um, you know, super, super effective in making these relationships, especially since um, the sport just organically fosters trust between teammates, between um, students and teachers. And it's just been, you know, an incredible um, proof concept that we've experienced in the last year and a half, um, you know, growing our program from three to over 100 students um, in just a few months and something that we're really, really proud of. Jeez. Wow. There's so much in that. Like, how did this all come together? At what point do you realize you want to change people's lives for the better using jujitsu? Uh, sure. Well, I mean, I've been a youth worker. Um, you know, I'm 27 years old now, so I've been a youth worker since I was 19 years old. Always had, um, always had it in my intentions and in my dreams to be using something in order to serve um, marginalized youth. I was in Brazil for a while um, doing work with street kids there. Um, I worked in Pennsylvania um, serving children that were in Section 8 housing projects and um, mobile home parks. So I always knew that I was going to be um, serving kids in some capacity. But when I found jujitsu um, a few years back, um, you know, pretty much the first day on the mat, I just instantly fell in love with the sport. Um, and just from honestly from that night I was like man you know if I continue with this it would be a really really cool way of empowering um, kids that are honestly just disempowered because of their social context Um, and so it's been in the back of my mind for the um, last few years and then um, I was able to go back to grad school, get my MBA, and that provided me with the tools and the skill set and um, a pretty decent network in order to start a pilot program here in Boston. Damn. So you're motivated. Yeah. You're, you sort of see jiu-jitsu. <laughs> I'm just – the 19 was like, God, I don't want to think about what I was doing at 19. Mm. <laughs> I, like, I you have the patience of a rock. I assume that's why jiu-jitsu is really probably a sport you enjoy. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I like this because every study ever will tell you, you know, if you get kids involved in an activity that teaches them that sort of discipline, maybe life for some reason isn't giving them. And jujitsu is a really good one for that because you were talking about trust. I mean, we had someone on the podcast. I don't yeah. remember who it was, Raf. You might that said every day you're trusting your partner not to kill you. Like that's you. You're putting a lot of trust that they yeah. will definitively let go and that teaches some teamwork uh yeah you're, when in your jujitsu journey do you parlay it into or is it within those first you seem to sort of spark that it happens like you know you want to do it immediately how do you put it into reality? yeah did you buy a gi and then go okay well, I'm, ready. Tomorrow. I'm ready to start an organization that's gonna help a lot of kids <laughs> No, man, it was like, it was, it was honestly one of those things that I was dreaming about for a long time. Um, and there were just so many things in life that prevented me from pursuing that at the time that, you know, that thought first entered my mind. Um, so, and I, and I also knew that I would have to invest a good amount of time in the sport in order to gain, you know, any sort of skill set, obviously, and any sort of credibility. Um, and, I was, you know, kind of in my mind, I was like, I'm going to wait till I'm brown belt to do that. And then, <laughs> then I started to say that that's probably be a little while. So um, I, I, you know, invested a few years in the sport, um, you know, three or four years into the sport. Um, and I was like a four stripe blue belt or something like that um, when I first started to pilot the program and then get my um, purple belt a couple of months later. Um, 
But I mean, it was, it's one of those things where honestly, like I found the sport, I love kids and I'm just going to be super candid. There's just so many um, things in my own life that I was going through while I was trying to kind of like cipher through what this would eventually look like. Um, and I'm going to be honest, I was in a, an abusive relationship while all of this was going on. And I was just thinking, like, how is this going to happen? But I just had faith that at some point the timing was going to be right. I was able to get out of that relationship. Then I became even more motivated and was like, oh, I'm free to pursue. I'm really, really free to pursue my dreams here, right? And I was like, now I have no excuse. So um, I'm kind of, you know, even though that was a sad experience for me, I'm also kind of thankful to that time in my life because it really motivated me to like, you know, get after it. And then because I knew what it was like to feel so disempowered, um, I was like, I need to be able to, you know, use, you know, use the sad time in my life and use my passions and everything like that to relate to people who are disempowered, to are disempowered and to find a way to empower them through the sport. Um, and so that kind of in a nutshell is what brought me from the first, you know, from the thought that, the first time that thought entered my head um, several years ago to, you know, fast forward, you know, five years later or so when I actually started the organization. Well, first off, thank you for sharing. I, I very much appreciate you being so candid about that. Um, yeah. do, do you find that when you are reaching out to those people that that makes it easier for you to kind of understand where they're coming from? Uh, because you do mentioned that you understand the plight of maybe kind of reaching out to disenfranchise, but as much like in jujitsu, a level of trust uh, that people seem to have with you, you know, I mean, like, tell us about the experience that you have and, and what you get out yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just like, you know, from, you know, so many experiences and everything um, in my personal life, I know what it, I, I, I really understand what it feels like to be, you know, a young person and to, not quite, you know, know who I am, not quite have, um, you know, a vision for myself or to have a vision, but having no idea how I'm actually going to reach that vision, right? Mm -hmm. um, that combined with, you know, I was kind of a rebellious kid in some ways, um, you know, and it, it was, you know, I had this kind of like pent up just like tension and sometimes aggression and just not knowing how to get that out in a productive way. Um, and so when I think back on the type of person that I was and the experiences that I go through, um, I'm able to see a young man or a young woman um, who exhibit similar symptoms of, you know, either anger or depression or just not really having that much direction, not knowing, you know, wanting, you know, having so much energy, but not knowing how to channel it. Like, I really see them, you know, and I really have a lot of just like, you know, empathy and compassion um, for that situation and knowing how frustrating and how confusing it is to be there. Um, and so it's just like, you know, I'm almost like kind of tearing up with a thought, like, it, it sucks. And um, it just says so much for a young person or any person for that matter to have someone who they respect, you know, look at them, acknowledge them, you know, let them know that they see you, let them know that they think that you're great, that they think that you're good at this sport and that you could be really, really awesome in whatever you pursue in life. That is something so powerful, and that is something that we um, really – a mindset that we really have embedded in our organization, and we just simply use a sport to unleash that. Um, so, yeah. That's so sick. This is so – like just hearing you talk <laughs> about it, you already – you get the feels. <laughs> you get yeah. uh, the, the good kind of uh, thing of what this should all be about. 
Um, mm-hmm. For me, I think, uh, you know, for some people who maybe aren't familiar with the program, tell us a little bit about what you guys do, uh, what are kind of things that you help to shape them. Obviously, mentoring sounds awesome, uh, but do you get to, like, help them with competitions and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, we have, you know, in terms of off the mat, you know, there's a mentorship. We also have um, tutoring life skills nutrition sessions um, before each class that the kids come to an hour early um, to participate in. And then we also have for, um, we have um, six kids that are employed or interned with us. So they have professional development meetings Mm -hmm. on a weekly basis, um, which is super awesome. And so we have those components off the mat, which are really powerful to to meet the kid holistically. Um, But then also to your point about competition, like our kids, you know, love to compete. Some of them are like really, really into it. Like, oh, I want to do this with my life. And some kids are just like, oh, it's fun to have the team experience. Um, So for us, it's really important to be able to provide those opportunities to the kids. Um, So we train, we train with them multiple times per week, um, either in Roxbury, they have, um, Roxbury is one of the neighborhoods that we serve. So we train with them in Roxbury a couple of times per week, but then um, we're so blessed to have some awesome partners in Boston, some awesome gyms that allow us to come um, and allow our students to come and train for free and cross train, um, which is really awesome. So we're super blessed in that way. Um, So for example, I train a, I train a Brazilian top team Boston and they just, you know, I have the, I have the code to the gym where I can just come and bring my students, you know, whenever I want. And we, you know, cross train, do additional training a couple times per week there um, in off hours. So it's really awesome. Um, The kids are really, incredibly dedicated to it um and we got some we got some kids that are just you know so talented um and some that are just you know have you know kind of like i suppose you know the average amount of talent but put so much work in that they just do awesome in competition um but then you know at the same time we we have a continued dialogue like hey you know it's so great that you're doing you know well in competition or for the kid who's not like hey man it's all good like you know you're having fun you're learning like it's not about winning it's about learning it's about you know growing as a person growing as a teammate um and make sure that no kids are left out um also make sure that kids you know don't feel as though you know they're left out if they don't compete at all Mm -hmm. um is it's really really important to us as well um and i think that we've done a pretty good job of um um, articulating that and communicating that to the kids um however we do um we do have um a, a few young men who are just, you know, exceptional athletes, a couple that I'm just like praying somehow to be able to take them to Pan Ams or worlds. Cause they just, honestly, they just really deserve the opportunity. Um, so, you know, hopefully if we garner the resources in the next couple of months, we can um, make that happen. Um, Cause there's two in particular that I'm thinking of that, um, you know, really want to pursue jujitsu, you know, you know, as a career. Um, both in terms of competing and in terms of one day teaching. So we're hoping to provide those opportunities. And that takes us to a good segue of how do people help? How do people get engaged? Um, obviously, you're not that passionate about it, so maybe you don't know the answers <laughs> yes. to these questions. I, I, I mean, Kevin, I was going to tell her, you know, just in private, could you, could you notch it up a little bit more? Could you maybe turn it, could you turn it <laughs> like, up to five or six? I was, like, I was really worried that – you know, you're just waiting. It's like <laughs> rope a dope strategy where you're just like, no, no, not passionate, passionate. Now I hit you. With 
<laughs> yeah, right. Okay, I'll I'll try to turn it up a little. <laughs> okay, thanks. <laughs> yeah, quick yeah, production yeah. <laughs> note mid podcast. We don't do that often, but it felt like a time we needed to. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, in terms of um, getting involved, I mean, you know, I I appreciate it so much when people are just you know re, you know reaching out, sharing our stuff um, on Facebook or on Twitter. I mean, obviously, honestly, I don't really tweet that much. I don't really understand that. But I mean, especially on Facebook, we really really appreciate. Um, people sharing our material. Um, we've actually got garnered so many resources and help um, by somebody who saw something uh, someone else's Facebook page. So honestly, it is incredibly helpful. Um, aside from that, um, you know, people who are in the Boston area or New England area, we love um, being able to host people at our gym to, you know, help instruct, to come and train with our kids, to provide kids with the opportunity to train in their gym as well. Um, and um, we've also, we also depend, you know, you know, solely on donations of equipment in order to provide our kids um, with the gear that they need. So, all of our geese are donated. All of our belts are donated. Um, you know, we honestly, you know, obviously don't have the capacity to be purchasing like, you know, a hundred dollar ghee, you know, for every single kid and everything like that. So we really do depend on the generosity of people to, you know, just, you know, dust, you know, you know, dust off their ghee that they're not wearing and just send it on over to us. Um, we have our mailing address on our website. So, you know, if you have something lying around, send that our way. Um, and then also we're, um, you know, we're always accepting financial contributions, um, particularly up until January 24th, we have, um, an Indiegogo campaign going on, um, where we're raising $15,000 for 2015. And that's going to be able, um, to help us scale our program, provide the kids with the competition and opportunities that they need and everything else I described, you know, except, you know, offering those opportunities to even more kids um, in the upcoming months. Um, and then aside from that, we're really trying to purchase a team vehicle and beyond that in the next year, you know, open up our own studio. But um, you can find all of that information on our website at levelgroundmma.org. Um, and that'll link you right to the Indiegogo campaign. Honestly, you know, even just a few dollars, man, you know, you know, $10, $20, you know, um, even like you would be surprised of how quickly that adds up. And we really appreciate, um, you know, people sacrificing whatever they're able to. Can I ask, you know, you're, yeah. you're in the thick of it. You are mm -hmm. able to see this firsthand. And mm -hmm. I don't know that everybody has this experience. I think they can relate to it just from, you know, they understand what jiu-jitsu does for them. But sure. what have been some of the best stories, or if there's one in particular that you can think of off the top of your head, of stuff that you've seen make a difference? Like what are, what's something tangible that you've been able to see from the program's uh, ability to help? Yeah, I mean, so, like, I mean, in terms of, you know, basic things like confidence and leadership, we've seen that increase substantially in all of our kids, right? And I mean, especially when we're talking about kids that, you know, we're really, really, you know, marginalized in a lot of yeah. ways, um, you know, or, or some of them are just natural leaders, but they're leading the wrong kind of things, you know, mm -hmm. um, and redirecting that into something incredibly powerful and positive. Um, that's been super, super, um, that's been super awesome. Um, we've had kids, um, we've had like on the open mat radio one, we had our, um, student Freddie on and 
his story is just incredibly powerful. He had transitioned, you know, um, a few months before he, we met him um, out, of, out, of, out of prison, and he created, recreated a relationship with him. And at the time that we met him, he really didn't know what he was going to be doing. Um, it was really difficult for him to find a job, to hold a job for more than a couple of months. Um, but after creating a relationship with him, and I personally have been mentoring him for over a year now um, since he joined the program, um, he was able to get into college. He is mm -hmm. currently working for us, um, and he is now not just that, but he's a mentor to so many of the um, younger students in the program. So stories like that, I really appreciate taking someone who, you know, honestly just, you know, like he's inherently a brilliant, brilliant person, but just needed an opportunity to let that brilliance just be unleashed, right? Um, yeah. And then providing him that opportunity. And now he is serving dozens of kids through um, through through all of his unique um, abilities, right? Um, and so stuff like that, I really appreciate. We have another person, for example, who was you know super overweight he lost 100 pounds was super quiet when he came in and um having lost the weight and having done jujitsu and being incredibly good at it i mean he he's been doing very well in competition um jujitsu has just become you know a, such a large part of his life he's one of the ones that wants to be an instructor and you know just do this you know make this his life um and that's really awesome and powerful to see and then we also have ones that like you know um the it's it's a slower progression so there's one kid for example <laughs> he he and i you know he's one of those kids you know just like kind of like you know a bit of a harder front or whatever so i need to know like there's been times where i try to push him like i would the other kids and then he just completely it's, it's completely backfires like he gets mad at me he leaves we don't see him for a week he, he always comes back and everything but then i learn how to like okay i'm not going to push in that area i'm going to kind of allow him to come to me and everything like that. And so for the last few months, he and I have this kind of ongoing thing where we're good and then we're a little shaky. We're good, then a little shaky. And maybe about three weeks ago, he and I kind of got into it, you know, where I had to like really be like, hey, man, I feel like, you know, there's some, you've grown a lot, but there's some, you know, definite ways that I still see you showing signs of disrespect or disrespecting me for that matter, right? And he got mm -hmm. kind of mad at me and then just like left the left the program um, for that night, you know, and we didn't see him for another week. Um, but something that meant so much to me is that last week for New Year's, we were doing our reflection after class. And then after that, he came up to me and was like, you know, Allie, like, I know that we don't always see eye to eye, but I want to let you know how much I see and how much I appreciate everything that you and that Hudson, our other instructor, have done for me. And it's really changing my life. And I really want to thank you, you know, so... Yeah it's moments like that where I'm just like, man, you know, kid does like, I love, it's like, I love you, but you're driving me crazy. You know, <laughs> like, like so, so disconnected, but at the same time, he and I are connected and we're going to grow in our connection and it just requires, you know, patience and perseverance to do so. Um, so there's definitely, you know, a lot of works in progress, but you know, that's what all of us are at the end of the day, a work in progress. So. And yeah. I love that, you know, it's not sugarcoating and being like, you give us the money and then guess what? Their lives are changed. <laughs> you know, it, no, it's a reminder no, no, that no. it much like in jujitsu, it's a process. It's going to take some process. time. And it doesn't happen overnight and it doesn't just happen magically without any resources, you know, right. as, as right. great as jujitsu is, 
you know, you want to afford those opportunities. You want to expose them to things that empower them and let them do their own things from there because – and Kevin and I can attest, you know, there are things in jiu-jitsu that we've learned that we, believe it or not, have used in the podcast and in our professional mm-hmm. careers. And yeah. I feel that that's something that you don't necessarily know you're getting as it's happening. But right. even if you don't know it, it's happening and it, it becomes infused with what you're doing. So, uh, you know, that's why yeah. we're, we're fans of what you're doing and, and we like it and we really want more people to become aware of it. So, uh, again, if you wouldn't mind plugging your website. Raph, Raph, you know what they can do if they want to see more of it? They can go to levelgroundmma.org. Oh, <laughs> scroll to the bottom. You're going to find that address she was talking okay. about. You're also going to find four very easy to use tabs that say contribute. So well, what if I go. want three easy to use tabs, Kevin? I'm afraid four is American, Raph. We need 25%. If you did three, then what you click is a uh, – look, it just – four is better. Uh, I do I actually American. Do you guys take like, um, rash guards as well? Yes, we take the hash guards and we take um we take fight shorts and um what you call it? Oh, gloves, boxing gloves. Like, you know, MMA gloves? stuff as well. Yeah. Cuz I'm pretty sure like Kevin's getting a little fat for some of his stuff, so I'm sure he gets <laughs> I was just filling in the blanks, Kevin. Got some leftover equipment. Why did I have to get to a size issue? Not, you know what? Another <laughs> it didn't treat all this great. My mother kept feeding me. There's nothing I can do about that. All right. So, uh, Allie, levelgroundmma.org. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You were talking about potentially having a uh, almost like a cross training summit here in the D.C. Virginia area. That's what, yeah. So um, something that um, so if you guys are familiar with um, Vector Jiu Jitsu, um, Beth um, Thrasher and Chris Thrasher, awesome people who um, started a Jiu Jitsu program a, f- a few months before we did, and we had been talking back and forth and everything like that. Um, and it's just really exciting for Beth and I to see how um, more and more people and more and more programs are cropping up that want to use um, the sport that we all love and are passionate about for social change, um, for something more than ourselves, our immediate sphere of influence. Um, and so um, Beth and I talk, you know, once in a while to encourage one another and to exchange ideas and stuff like that. And so something that we would like to do is to get together sometime in the summer, perhaps in August in the D.C., Virginia area, kind of halfway between um, where she is and where I'm, I'm at, um, bring kids and just provide the opportunity for them to um, train at a bunch of different schools to meet each other and then um, to have kind of a larger dialogue about how um, the sport of jiu-jitsu is just um, changing the lives of of kids and of people in um, underserved communities. And so we're really excited about that prospect and we'll definitely keep, keep you updated. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah finally, yeah, yeah. I get to go to something, Raph. I get to go to something. Well, I'll find a way to get there. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, You're more than welcome to um, tune in to come to the summit um, or to, you know, MC the summit. We will see. It will be great. May I say a, a dangerous <laughs> proposition? How dangerous. Uh, <laughs> as Actually, much better works. behaved when people are watching. 
when they're with, watching okay. him listening and I make usually no guarantees. helps Kevin with the words. <laughs> but no, Kevin would do an absolute fantastic job. I hope we can make that happen. Oh, but I'm even if he's good. not involved, uh, we want people to be a part of it. So get back in touch with us. Let us know. We're okay. happy to get the word out there. And uh, again, we can't thank you for, you know, stopping by and, and not only stopping on the podcast, but doing what you're doing. Uh, we think oh, it's really, sure. really cool. And we're 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 behind it. So anything that we can Thank do to help and, and, our, and our listeners, if you guys don't mind passing it on as well, it's a good story. And uh, we we're wishing the best and we know you're, you're killing it. That's such great work. Thank you so much. Um, the pleasure is mine. The privilege is mine to be um, serving these beautiful kids. So I appreciate it and love talking to you guys. Thank you so much for the support. We are really, really thankful for it. Ooh, and you're modest too. Nobody asked for that. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special treat here today. Uh, this is where my interests in the world of entertainment kind of collide. And whenever we get to do these, uh, this is great because Kevin gets lost. Is this not true, Kevin? I get lost pretty easily, just like normal conversation. Right, right. But if I don't know what's going on, I definitely get lost. You've been referred to as a rudderless GPS, yes? Uh, I think you referred to me as a rudderless GPS. It was Jim Lawson. I wish that was mine. (laughs) Okay. But, you know, Kev, there's always been opportunities for me to talk about uh, pro wrestling on the podcast. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, how would you rate your uh, pro wrestling knowledge base? Three, four, a three. Okay, with ten being the best, three, four. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, Kev, uh, on today's podcast, we wanted to bring on a friend, a uh, fan of the podcast, but also a good friend of the BJJ community. Uh, you guys may know him as a commentator for Ring of Honor. You may also know him as a professional wrestler in his own right. But let's bring on our friend, Nigel McGinnis. Nigel, how are you doing today, man? Very well, thank you, boys. Very well. Just got back from a very successful evening in Nashville. and Good to be back here in the sunshine in Los Angeles, California. How about you? We're doing great. We obviously didn't travel from Nashville. Does the wear and tear get to you with that kind of travel? Does the what? Does the, like, is there any wear and tear for that much travel? Because you, you're getting out and doing uh, – you do commentary for Ring of Honor. So you're, you're getting out fairly often, though, to go travel and do well, those shows. Well, it's not yeah. too bad. It's usually you know, once or twice a month. Uh, compared to the guys in WWE or on the road four or five days a week, it's not that bad at all. I actually quite look forward to the trips. You know what I mean? We, we leave in um, Saturday morning. I was delayed like three hours, so that kind of stunk. Mm-hmm. But – other than that, it's all right. You know, you get to see a different part of the country, get a nice payday, get to see the boys, enjoy some of the best pro wrestling in the world. So, all is good in the world. I like it. Now, Kev, do you have any questions to start off for Nigel, uh, given the fact that he is both pro wrestler, commentator, and also jiu-jitsu practitioner? Go. Yes. How similar does your passion lie between the pro wrestling and the jiu-jitsu? Because it appears to really anyone that does jiu-jitsu and love pro wrestling, there always seems to be a grip. 
Yeah, there is kind of a conflict, I think. And um, I don't know, I, I always spoke to some of the, the trainers and they kind of get angry with me because we, in pro wrestling, if I'm not letting a cat out of the bag here, but in pro wrestling, you kind of let people get holds on you and let them well, get out of holds as no, well, whereas hold in jiu-jitsu, you're not supposed to do that. Oh, well, okay, then I've been doing both wrong, apparently, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know but, I mean, you're supposed to not let people do that, but all right, go on. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, when I'm rolling around with guys, sometimes I'll just, you know, and they'll see that I'm letting them get out of holds or I won't even put the holds on them properly so they can get out of them. And, um, you know, that's obviously not what you're supposed to do. But beyond that, I mean, the passion is kind of, for me, uh, within pro wrestling, it was all about performing. It was all about achieving my childhood dream. I was a big fan back in England and always wanted to come over here to America and be a wrestler. But for jiu-jitsu, it was something that I sort of came into later on in life, almost through pro wrestling. A lot of the, the pro wrestling peers of mine at the time, Brian Danielson, who now wrestles for WWE as Daniel Bryan, started um, doing jiu-jitsu uh, in Vegas um, uh, about four or five years ago and started implementing some of those holds in, in pro wrestling matches that he had at the time. And I never did it when I was wrestling because I was always so worried about getting hurt and injured. And then if you're hurt and injured doing you know, what you enjoy, then you can't make a living um, doing what you're getting paid for. So I never really started until I'd actually retired and found a great school there in, um, in Burbank with Professor Crane. And started off and realized, really, I probably should have been doing a, a lot more beforehand because the, the, what you can take from jiu-jitsu, what you can take from legitimate fighting and put into the scripted universe, I think is you know, very, very valuable. Okay. I accept. I'm always willing to accept <laughs> the viewpoint. And uh, uh -huh. if anything, your accent makes it really hard to disagree with. So I'm going to accept it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let me ask you, you said you're, you're on like a three or four out of ten in terms of your knowledge of pro wrestling. If I throw out some names, oh, I'm interested to see who of these people you've heard of, all right? <laughs> oh, so so just a yes oh, or no and be 100% honest, okay? Uh, okay? You ready? Yeah. Here we go. Hulk Hogan, yes or no? Yes, yes. Uh, the Rock? Yes. Dwayne Johnson, yes. Triple H? Yes. John Cena? Is John Cena the big current one with the crew cut? Yeah, yeah, yeah the yes. big current one. Oh, man. Yes. But you see it fading. That's the best part of this. Keep going. <laughs> I love seeing the Back to the Future picture start to fade in Kevin's eyes. <laughs> well, that's, that's that's not terrible. There's plenty of people who don't know any, all of those guys. You know what I mean? I mean, if I start mentioning um, guys like uh, Damien Sandow, probably not so much, right? Mm. Oh, but nah, Kevin, you would love him. Absolutely love him. Great name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no Kevin, just to fill you in, his gimmick right now is you are familiar. So, uh, Nigel, you don't know what Kevin looks like, but he is most akin to looking like The Miz. Okay. If that fills any blanks for you, and he acts very accordingly. Uh, but The Miz is playing a very Johnny Cage, I'm a movie star kind of a thing. And uh, Damien Sando is his tag team partner, who is also his stuntman. So when he's in the ring and The Miz is wrestling, uh, outside the ring, as a true stuntman, Damien Sando is exactly copying his moves. And, like, if he goes to jump off something, Sando is also jumping off something. And it's one of the most comical things they're doing right now. One of the things they're doing right 
that's news to me as well. So I don't, I don't watch WWE right now. You know, I just sort of see what I see online and stuff like that. So it's, it's nice to be Obviously. caught up on the product. And that's, that is something that is interesting. We're, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. But Nigel, for mm. you, you know, so you ended up doing it because other pro wrestlers themselves were finding themselves in that realm of using uh, jiu-jitsu or at least kind of training no, on the I mean, I mean, originally, I really just wanted to do some exercise. I mean, cause I, I wasn't wrestling anymore, so I wasn't exercising. Um, and I had some bumps and bruises from wrestling. And I tried jogging. I kept putting my muscles doing that. I tried yoga, and it bore me to tears. And then I thought that <laughs> this would be something that, you know, yeah, would be, you know, a good way of, of working up a sweat, but learning something at the same time. Because there's nothing so boring as, like, standing on a treadmill. I do a little Absolutely. bit of hiking from time to time living out here. But, but the, the competition that's there as well um, was just a perfect fit for me. So, and this is something, you know, I asked this with other people who are wrestling fans, but this is something I'm always interested to know. Are there certain moments, because if I'm recalling correctly, didn't you submit people? You had some mission finishers in your tenure as a professional wrestler? Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, when I was a wrestler, I, I was a big fan of MMA and UFC, and I used to watch a lot. And I still do, in fact, actually. I still have a, a, a burgeoning interest in it. Um, and I, you know, I, the thing with pro wrestling is you learn holds, you learn legitimate holds, you just don't learn how to legitimately put them on people. That's the difference, mm-hmm. you see what I mean? <laughs> so I, I, I knew, you know, uh, Americana, I knew as a top wrist lock, uh, Kaimura, I knew as, as a bottom hammer lock, you know, so I knew the holds, but again, someone has to let you get them on them. And so right. I would try and take things that I watched, didn't know legitimately how to do, but take things that I watched and use them in, in the hold. I had a, a submission that I started implementing when I started getting a few injuries called the London Dungeon, um, which was really, uh, it was really a, um, uh, Americana, but I'm sat behind the guy uh, and yanking back in the same direction. It applies the same pressure, but just from a different direction. So as you're doing that, and let's say you're rolling now, is there ever just a moment when you feel that you're going to try and do one of those things? Because instinctually, you just did it for so long. Isn't it just something that finds its way into your repertoire where you're like, man, I've got a good transition here. But for <laughs> no, it's, it's usually the, the other way around. Like, yeah, when they're, they're sort of showing me, um, you know, to go from the guard um, and you try for the arm bar and the guy pulls the arm out and then you swap the other way into the empalada. Little things like that, I go, this would work perfectly within the pro wrestling genre, you know what I mean? But to go the opposite direction, not quite so much. Although, from what I understand, you guys have had a, a, a little uh, excursion in that direction, haven't you? With the sharpshooter? <laughs> I, I, well, yeah, I mean... I don't I, know what you're I, talking I, about. I do not know what he's talking yeah. about. And I'd like to take this moment to transition subjects. No, I All mean, right. I'd like to, before we close this subject out, I'd just like to point out we do have evidence video footage of uh, Kevin getting educated, I guess you could say, of, of um, how effective a sharpshooter is. I was just donating a little mental time to charity, and uh, yeah. yeah, I found <laughs> out The best what... is when Kevin's like, oh, this can't possibly work. Oh, this is, this is terrible. This is actually really <laughs> bad. I don't know why I spoke so ill of it. Anyway, <laughs> I'm changing directions to the Kickstarter page. LA Fights by Nigel McGinnis. Cool last name, by the way. Thank you. 
putting him on alert. Talk to us about this project. Um, we've been talking about your, I guess, the creative side as an announcer, um, but it looks like you're putting together what looks like a really badass script that you're looking for people to back. Yeah, I mean, essentially, it's a TV show, um, and it's really an evolution of pro wrestling in every way, shape, and form. The in-ring style, because I think, you know, and, and a lot of people that aren't pro wrestling fans, understandably, they're kind of turned off by, I mean, for want of not using a, a cliche, the fakeness of it. And I think that now, the in-ring style, certainly on a mainstream level, because of what we know in MMA uh, and Jiu-Jitsu and UFC, for example, the fakeness of it is even more so. I mean, because you've got to think, back in 1985, right, when you had Mr. T and WrestleMania, everyone thought that he was the toughest guy in the world because no one knew the difference. No one knew what a real fighter was, you know, whereas now we know what professional fights really look like. So to try and convince people, I mean, not to convince them that it's real, but to allow them to suspend their disbelief it's not quite so easy as it was five or ten years ago. And that being the case, I believe the in-ring style needs to go slightly further towards MMA because the trouble with MMA, as we're seeing again and again, certainly with the UFC, is that you have the realism and you have the aggression and everybody buys that, but you can't control the outcome. So you can really get behind guys and give them a big push and start drawing some real money and then a fluke injury, as we've seen happen time and time again, can cost you all that money. Now with pro wrestling, obviously you control the outcome 100%, but the actual in-ring style arguably doesn't appeal to as broad a spectrum of people that want more realism so my theory is if you can find a product which fits between the two you can appeal to both demographics and obviously i think we live in a world now where we get our content in completely different ways we don't necessarily tune in every time at the same time every week you know with, with mm. platforms like netflix and hulu we kind of binge watch a lot of series and stuff like that and so i think a series formula within pro wrestling or it's not even necessarily pro wrestling really it's scripted fight entertainment uh, and whether that's you want to call it pro wrestling or whether you want to call it scripted MMA, whatever you want to call it, I believe there's good TV and there's bad TV. And what I've done is I've taken everything that I've learned over the last 10 or 15 years within pro wrestling. I've taken everything I've learned from watching TV shows and series and studying the art form of how to write screenplays and TV shows. And I've taken everything that I've learned over the last 18 months of jiu-jitsu and legitimate fighting and tried to combine it all into one neat concise package that I believe is funded can completely reinvigorate the industry and not only that present a really great show that basically can can show guys how you can make a living even on a small level because I think that's the trouble with pro wrestling on a mainstream level is there's WWE I mean now there is TNA there are other companies and Ring of Honor who I, who I work for obviously a, a fantastic company in and of themselves but to make the sort of million dollars that, that only a very few people make you have to go to WWE and I think if there was another product out there and I truly believe there's a huge gap in the market for it I think if that product can come into being then more people can make some money very cool you wrote and did this and I'm just looking at this based off of understanding the project and this is super cool hmm. um, I really respect the ability to, to get together the process is so insane of writing this type of series did you take this on as a solo endeavor? Did you have writing partners? How did you progress through building it? Yeah, I mean, the idea sort of started 
coming to me about five years ago. Uh, when you know you're looking and you're seeing UFC's popularity, and you know with with UFC 100 and Brock Lesnar, the number of pay-per-views they sold there, and then WWE by comparison isn't even in the same ballpark. And you're thinking, man, maybe there is a way of combining those two. But it wasn't really until I had retired myself uh, that I really started putting the legwork into it. And it was really, as I said, the last 18 months, um, I've got kind of a background in writing. I've written a couple of screenplays. I had one option. Um, and I kind of used that to write out a six-episode series myself, just basic, uh, coming up with some characters. I did a lot of groundwork into the characters as well, because that's my belief is that, you know, characters arguably within pro wrestling have been black or white, whereas in reality, everybody's a shade of gray. And to do that, you have to know your characters intrinsically. So I would write out three, four five pages of backstory to all these characters most of which i'll never use but so that when i write for them i can write more genuinely so i did that i wrote the six episode series and then i went to a, a friend of mine also a pro wrestler a guy called jimmy jacobs who has a, a wonderful mind for the business and for storytelling as well and also he kind of approached it from a different perspective because i don't believe I mean, they say write about what you know and I've had a lot of issues with concussions. Um, I made a documentary about how I felt as though I didn't quite achieve my childhood dream. So I kind of understand not quite achieving your ambition. But I wanted to write about drug abuse. I wanted to write about sexuality uh, and a lot of issues that I didn't necessarily have a lot of great experience with dealing with myself. Um, so I went to Jimmy, who had more of that, and he kind of said, you know, it wouldn't be written this way. This is kind of the way it would happen. And so as a script consultant, he came in, really added some some depth to all the characters. And, you know, we're trying to present these ideas, as I said, in, in, a, in a shade of grey sort of way, because I think that's what people identify with. You know, whether you're talking about politics or religion Absolutely. or drugs or any of those things, it's not black or white. And, and there's arguments on both sides and presented in any other way, I think, is, is soft mark at best. And you limit your audience because of that. So that was kind of the process. Um, there's a couple of producer friends that I have out here, uh, Andrew Reyes. Um, who is also I met at Jiu Jitsu, um, who's helped put the budget together for this. We've got a bare bones budget of 370 grand, which, as you guys may or may not know, is not that much money for six episode TV series. <laughs> as um, someone but, who's looked at NBC's um, pocketbooks and uh, check receipts, that's not a lot of money to make a TV show. Just to it's not a lot to make even one it. episode, exactly, and that's the reality. Oh, but I, I knew NBC that on Kickstarter, that up just uh, <laughs> for catering on some shows. Let's put it that way. Right, exactly. So I knew though that if I asked for like the amount that I'd need in an ideal world, I'd never get it. So I went to Andrew and I said, "Look, I want to do this. I want to make it in my vision. I don't want to have to give up the creative control necessarily. So I'm going to try and go the Kickstarter route because I raised fifty thousand dollars before." to make a documentary about my retirement tour from pro wrestling. And that was a huge success, overwhelming success in terms of the feedback after the fact. And so I thought, you know what, I'll go in the same direction, but I need the absolute minimum. You know what I mean? I don't want to ask for something and then not be able to finish it. Because that's the problem with a lot of other people that have put stuff on Kickstarter is they've asked for a certain amount and just sort of ballparked it. As we see time and time again within television and film, you always go over budget and then you shit out of luck and people don't get their product and they're kind of burnt on the whole crowdfunding thing, which is what I'm kind of dealing with at the moment as well, trying to convince people to, you know, really have faith in me and have the faith that this project will see the light of day. So, so that was it. 
Nigel, I do have to ask this. Why the combination of both, like, the mixed martial arts style and the pro wrestling style? Because uh, sometimes you have people who are just accustomed to one. Uh, or they're, you know, you have some UFC fans who just don't want to be MMA fans. You have vice versa, some MMA fans who don't want to necessarily be pro wrestling fans. You have people like Vince McMahon uh, reportedly saying that uh, UFC is a barbaric sport behind the scenes. And, I mean, there's just so many different, uh, like, perspectives on those two realms. Even though you can make the arguments, they borrow from each other so much. But in terms of for your project, why the crossover between the two? Um, and you're absolutely right. And I think that's the reason why WWE doesn't try and go more in this direction is because I think it perhaps will turn off a lot of their pro wrestling fans that like to see pro wrestling the way that it is. And that's fine. What you have to understand is that in the late 1990s, there were 10 million people who were watching pro wrestling every night on Monday night when the Monday night wars were going on. Now that number's down to about three or four million, which means there's six million people who are no longer watching the product. And you can say they grew up, maybe they've gone into MMA, I don't know. But there is a huge audience that would appeal to a product which is closer towards the MMA. And I do think, really, it's just the stigma. And again, maybe we'll get onto this when we talk about CM Punk going to the UFC. Um, when people hear pro wrestling as an MMA fan, you just you, you automatically cringe. And I get it, and I understand. And I guess to a certain extent as well, if you're an ardent pro wrestling fan and you see some of uh, the brutality that can exist within MMA, you kind of turned off by that and you go, I don't want to see real fighting. Um, mm-hmm. But I believe that if you can get away from the labels, as I said before, it's either good TV or it's bad TV. And if it's an entertaining show with characters that draw you in, then I guarantee you people on both sides are going to love it. Sold here. I'm definitely interested. <laughs> I, I was like, I don't want to watch the videos while we're chatting with him, but uh, I'm certainly going to get caught up on it. I like the detailed budget, too. I think that's a great way to go about the Kickstarter. Um, it does alleviate a lot of those concerns and rumors that are associated to it. This is really cool. Now, let me ask you this as well, Nigel. You alluded to the fact, uh, you know, you and I have conversations about a lot of different things in pro wrestling because – I I like that you have this great knowledge. Now that you're on the side of doing more uh, commentary, you know, how is it like, you know, being – because when you're doing commentary, as we know, it's a storytelling element in in itself. Does that lend itself to kind of what you've been doing on the scripted side for this project? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in in terms of writing out the the six-episode series, and that was kind of an interesting thing of how to write that out because – I've written action sequences within screenplays before, but not fight sequences and not in detail. And I wasn't really sure how to exactly explain that and describe it because if you don't understand jujitsu or you don't understand pro wrestling and you name, name all these terms, people are lost, you know? Um, and so you have to find a way of telling that story in a digestible way, which is exactly the same as commentary. And that's what you're trying to do as a commentator. Certainly as a commentator who's wrestled or done uh, MMA themselves, you're trying to explain to the lay person exactly what's going on. So perhaps they don't think that this is boring or, or, or not important, or they can see more of the depth that gets into it and therefore get more engaged into it as well. I'm obsessed with this now. I gotta find a new <laughs> Kev, uh, you know, Kev has been very interested on the other side. Kev is with me, 
uh, out in LA visiting when mm-hmm. we saw the CM Punk announcement. What was your reaction, Kevin? I'm excited. I mean, I don't really know him as a wrestler, but I know he's an athlete and he brings in a draw of crowd and uh, it's always fun. So, it'll, you know, it's cool to see athletes challenge themselves. He's doing it. So uh, that's kind of where my... Did you, I mean, uh, Nigel, did you know CM Punk? Are you, You're obviously familiar with his work, but um, did you have any kind of relationship with him? Yeah, yeah, we're friends. Um, I wrestled him on a couple of occasions. I wrestled him in, um, where was this? Uh, it was La Paul, Indiana, uh, in front of about 35 apathetic wrestling fans. <laughs> he kicked, <laughs> kicked me in the head so hard that uh, my ears were ringing for about a day afterwards, but I kicked him back. So, so it was all right. wait a minute. So you can attest to the fact that he does have some striking experience, huh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's a world apart, obviously, between pro wrestling and MMA, um, and it's a it's a huge um, it's a huge learning gap and a huge gradient that he's going to have to move up. Um, but he's one of the most determined people that I've ever met, um, and there's there's just there's not one shred of doubt uh, or, or self doubt whatsoever. He's the most confident person I've ever met as well. And he also has the backing now with the money in terms of getting the best training in the world. So, I mean, there's a lot of questions. There's questions about age. There's questions about timing, um, uh, finding the right opponent as well. I mean, you, you obviously can't put him in there with somebody that's a tomato can because it's not going to add anything to it. It's going to be a waste of, of, of a draw. But at the same time, you put him on there somewhere who's too good, and that's the last fight he'll ever have there. But either way, I think, and, and uh, I would say arguably, this is what UFC does so well, is they managed to find the right opponent for everybody. I mean, this, uh, it was the, the match last night, right? Um, with Jones and Cormier. John Jones and, yeah. Right now, now I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm more of a lay person in terms of that. I've obviously heard of both the names and I, I would have certainly watched it, um, if I wasn't actually at a show. But everybody was asking beforehand, who do you think is going to win? Now, you guys obviously know more about it. Was that as much of a 50-50 contest as, as people were making out, or was Jones really the favorite? Jones was the favorite. Yeah. By, by far? Yeah. yeah. Well, like, uh, lot, the odd by, part is... Yeah, he definitely was. He right. was so put ahead case, right? as a... He was he was put ahead on Vegas odds as a heavy favorite, and of course, as we get closer to the fight, people start going, you know, Daniel Cormier is kind of undefeated too, and so it evened right. out. So even though John Jones was was a clear favorite going in, and and still continued to be, people still had their doubts uh, as it got right. closer to it. And I think that's what they do so well. UFC does is they manage to convince you. Every one of those big fights, it really could go either way. Where a lot of insiders probably go, you know what? This is a pretty sure bet. Um, and I think they'll do the exact same thing with Punk. And I think it's a win-win for everybody involved. It's a win-win for Punk because he gets to prove that. And I don't think there should be any doubt at this point anyway that he really does move the needle in terms of pop culture. I mean, he did the podcast with Cabana and the number of downloads that that got and yeah. the man that it almost broke the internet, you know? Jesus, and like, yeah. and th- we live in a world now, and perhaps Vince doesn't like this, I don't know. I've never really met the guy. But it used to be that WWE or WWF back in the day, if you were there, you had a name, and when you were left there, forget about it. Whereas now Punk's shown that once you're there and you've created a brand for yourself, as he has done, 
I mean, he can take that and do what he wants with it at this point. And I fully applaud him for not just sitting in his room and, and playing video games, but actually, you know, trying to, you know, do something that obviously was on his bucket list and he wanted to do. I'll be watching. I, I think, I don't know if he'll get the record, but I think he's got to come close to the record with Lesnar. Uh, and wow. uh, like I said, okay. it's a win-win for everybody, okay. yeah. Now, in terms of, you know, for you, do you think that maybe will highlight... Uh, a crossover between those two worlds that you are trying to converge between the two. Um, you know, now that you have this opportunity, is there kind of this, uh, have you seen a, a reinvigorated interest just in what it means? Um, I don't know. I don't know if people are going to see punk going there as, as, as a tipping a hat towards a product which bridges the gap between the two. I think people still have a strong division between MMA and pro wrestling and I think arguably that's why some people, when I've suggested what I've suggested with LA fights, that they don't really necessarily see it or get it. And uh, I have to be honest, it, it took me, as I said, 18 months of sitting down and really belaboring over the in-wing style on how am I going to keep people entertained on either side? Because people who are pro wrestling fans, they want to see you hit the ropes and spin around and jump all over the place. And people who are MMA fans don't want to see any of that, you know? So how can you possibly do something in between? And I really think I've got it. I really think I've figured it out. Um, not 100%, but I know that there are guys that can do it. There are pro wrestlers that use enough MMA-inspired stuff that can do it. Or even MMA fighters, I think, open enough to, to working within the scripted genre. So I certainly think there's a possibility there. Absolutely. And tell people how they can help one more time. Let's get the word out because uh, I also yeah, like the to... idea of it having some grit. But go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I like the Thank show. You. Yeah. If you go to lafights.com, they'll take you straight to the Kickstarter page. You can follow me on Twitter at McGinnis Nigel and my Instagram at McGinnis Nigel. Facebook, there's about seven of me. But funnily enough, I'm number seven, the one that ends in number seven. Uh, I'm tweeting about it, I'm, I'm posting on Facebook. I'm telling as many people as I can. I'm trying to get everybody else as well to talk about it because um, I really do genuinely believe that this could be something that reinvigorates the industry and above all that creates a really great entertainment product that can you know, help give people a way of making a living within the industry. I love Very it. Cool. This is so interesting and like I said, it's a nice uh, kind of uh, combination of, of two of the interests that I've always had. And I, the thing I've always liked about you, Nigel, is, is that you're very, very honest and and good about approaching both from a very rational point. Uh, you know, when we talked about MMA and you were talking about our podcast, you know, you were forthcoming that you didn't know necessarily everybody's names, but you weren't the type of person who was against it. You saw, like, this great uh, sport and we're able to talk about it in a, a very passionate way for somebody coming into it new and your jujitsu is pretty legit, man. It's, it's fun rolling with you. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. I still got a long cut. I mean, I'm still getting murdered by white belts all the time, you know, but again, it's just because <laughs> I just can't get away from the fact that like, I don't want to hurt people and I want to, you know, like, yeah, I mean, to be I'm fair in, in your brain, if you make it, to the edge you essentially should be granted a rope break even if you're still in an arm bar if you have a foot or a hand that grabs the the edge i think that's that's something ingrained in you forever yeah yeah it, it does become part of the psyche actually in terms of you know, <laughs> when you have that sort of physical contact absolutely yeah 
Well, that's great. You know, Nigel, we're we're going to go ahead and uh, get behind this as well. We we can't thank you enough for stopping in here. I know next time we we get Kevin back out here, uh, we'll get you to teach him something so that he knows yeah, right. himself. And in return, Kevin will teach you a great jiu-jitsu move. He's got some great stuff from uh, half that he could definitely be uh, helping you out with there. Fantastic. I look forward to it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Nigel McGinnis, please follow, go support him. Uh, and uh, we can't thank you enough uh, for taking out time in between traveling, man, and then now stopping to talk with us. We wish you all the best, my man. Cheers. God bless Podcast. We've got people trying to create television series. Yep, um, that was awesome. Nigel's great. Uh, is that Do you, fake? Right? Not a real. Um, you know, it's hard uh, in in pro wrestling when pro wrestling. you are when you are scripted and you are staying in the realm of scripted. It is called kayfabe. Oh, okay. So could be scripted and the best uh, running gimmick that none of us have ever known. But yeah, do you feel more enlightened now? Very. Okay. Very. Because we also, from Level Ground MMA, had Allie Fuller on. So cool. Who's awesome. Jeez. Yeah. Such a cool project. I'm I'm really glad that uh, we were able to not only hear it, but uh, to hear some of the cool things that are happening in places that you don't necessarily hear a lot about. You also get the feeling she's very good at jujitsu. Is that just me? Um, yeah, yeah. I got that pretty early on when, well, you know, day one, she's already like, "All right, I'm going to change the world with jujitsu," and I'm like, "Oh, no, you're going to be very focused." I still try not to get choked. Um, <laughs> always nice to have Jim Lawson back on as mm-hmm. I continue an unparalleled win streak for over under Kevin. An unprecedented. Un. Lots everything. of people win twice. At tons of other things. Nah. Millions of nah. other things, actually. No one's ever you, done millions anything Millions of like other things. On over no but one has ever. nobody has ever won twice on Mm-mm. over under Kevin. That is absolutely true. Nobody's also played twice, but details. Why do we have to get – yeah, I was like, let's not get bogged down in the details. Mm-hmm. Let's stay uh, nice and free with them. I'm loving it. It's time for some <laughs> shout-outs. Yeah. Would you like to go first? Yeah, I'll do it first. Uh, let's go ahead and shout-out Valley Martial Arts Center. V-Mac. V-Mac and those tacos next door. Yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually, um, I guess sidebar, uh, yesterday I caught the fights with Jevons, and all the guys were like, oh, let's not get food. Nah, we don't want food. And I was kind of banking on a little bit of food, and Kelly was coming down. And she's asked, she's like, should I get something to eat? I was like, oh, I guess you should. She goes, well, what do you want? I was like, do you want to get Taco Lady? And she goes, oh, my God, Taco Lady. For those of you who don't know, there is a Taco Lady right next to VMAC who is up very late when we're getting out of classes. Kevin had some of those tacos, life-changing, yes, no? Life-changing. Okay. tacos. So I say that I'm going to get these tacos, and none of the people there, including John, who taught at VMAC for a long time, ever had tried those tacos. Why? Were they trying to be intentionally mean? Apparently. They hate Taco Lady, which is a mean thing. 
So uh, next thing you know, I'm calling Kelly when she's asking how many tacos I want, and I'm saying, oh, about 23. <sighs> she goes, oh, everybody there, huh? I'm like, oh, yep, everybody wants to try some. And I looked over at John, and John has complained about bad tacos in his very, like, well, this taco, it, Raph, it was not good. The chicken was cooked terribly. And I, I heard him go on for five minutes about bad chicken tacos once. So he's giving me a look like, are you sure? What? And I go, John, I'm just going to guarantee you in life, I've eaten more tacos than you. And he tried to contend that fact with me. How no dare he? Yeah, he did. Uh, so anyway, he was just feeling spicy. I get he it. Was he was very spicy. <laughs> so he tried the tacos, loved it, wolfed it down, and had several more. So uh, Taco Lady, her reputation precedes herself. But we digress. She is a part of VMAC. Is she my shout out from VMAC? Uh, no. No, I mean, there's other people I trained uh, with uh, another guy named Raphael. Have you ever trained with another person with your name, Kevin? Yes. How did that go? I won. Oh, I, wait. I've trained with a few people that had my name, and I did not always win. It's good. <laughs> okay. It's always a little weird, especially if anyone's trying to coach. Yes. Kevin, you should really try and not lose. Yeah. Wait, what? Uh, no, so I – in the name of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Kevin, uh, you don't have a name that's as connected as mine to people who win a lot. True. So there's definitely it, Kevin's right now. Not not yet, maybe soon. Hey, but yeah, there's a lot funny. of Hoffs and Hoffas and Raphaels, if you would. So I got to roll with another guy named Raphael. He's a good friend of ours over at VMEC. He trains over with good people at uh, Subconscious Jiu Jitsu. He comes over and Alex Perez, our other good friend, just yells out from the side, Two Raphaels training. Only one can keep the name. Winner keeps the name. And I was like, wait, no. That's just mean. And uh, lo and behold, I had to fight for my namesake. We fought to a draw. Hey, that's good. So do I still call you Raph or do I need to change it up? I would let you know that Alex told us that we both since neither of us won, lost our names. So you are now talking to Pablo. Okay. <laughs> Pablo. I would have a lot of trouble calling you Pablo. It's like, I think a lot of people would. Uh, but it was better than, I think it was, what was it, Jose? And I was like, I'm not a Jose. I'm definitely a Pablo. Thank you. Over a Jose, I guess I agree. Yeah. So my thanks to <laughs> Jose, a.k.a. Uh, Raphael, a really great role. Everybody at VMAX today was uh, killing it. Great, great open mat session. So my thanks to everybody. And my thanks to Jevons for hosting a good uh, fight night. Him, uh, great people, fun times. That's awesome. Gotta love you some Jevons. Uh, Big thanks to my girlfriend for driving back from Kansas with me. (laughs) She came down just to drive back. Well, she came down and hung out for a few days and then drove back with me. But still. That's good. And hanging with you is really indicative of someone being thanked. Luckily, I just did all of my cool accents for her. She was, you know, riddled with entertainment the entire trip home. So <laughs> things are going great. Uh, yeah, get, looking forward to getting back to some BJJ MMA Academy. New location, by the way. Got the call from Andrew. They are yeah. uh, training back over across the street. 
so if they didn't know that, you know, new location, just didn't want to show up and be like, I knew these fuckers would do this. They left me. They didn't say anything. Just no one. There's this vacant at the other place. That's so sad. Uh, yeah, but luckily that's not what happened. He called me, so <laughs> things are good. <laughs> good. Before I weave too deep a story. That's going to do it for me, Raph, except to say thanks to my family. Tons of fun out there in Kansas this trip. That'll do it for us tonight here at Verbal Tap. I'm Kevin. Thanks for listening. Good night and Kevin's family. We're going to invest in some mics so that you can join us on one of the future podcasts. And fight. <laughs> Man, they honestly, they were the best part of the editing process. They were amazing to listen in the background giggling at you the entire time.